Good morning, and welcome to Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host for today, Ryan Cooper. Beyond the Headlines is a weekly current affairs show that aims to make public policy discussions more accessible to you. We take you beyond the headlines of our daily news, bringing you access to current leaders through in-depth interviews. This week's show is a special edition of Beyond the Headlines, presented to you by the 2021 United Nations High-Level Political Forum on Sustainable Development Delegation of the Young Diplomats of Canada. You can join us in the conversation by tweeting at us on Twitter at Beyond the Headlines, that's B-Y-O-N-D underscore headlines. Bonjour, hello. Thank you, everybody, for joining in to today's podcast. I'd like to start us off by acknowledging that I'm joining today from Treaty 3 territory, which is the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe Métis people. I encourage everybody to take a few moments and acknowledge the land on which they're joining in from today as well. The United Nations High-Level Political Forum, or UNHLPF, on Sustainable Development was mandated in 2012 meeting annually under the auspices of the Economic and Social Council for eight days, including a three-day ministerial segment. During the UNHLPF, countries have the opportunity to submit a Voluntary National Review, or VNR, which measures their national progress on achieving the Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, in relation to the Agenda 2030. The theme of this year's UNHLPF was sustainable and resilient recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic that promotes the economic, social, and environmental dimensions of sustainable development, building an inclusive and effective path for the achievement of the 2030 Agenda in the context of the Decade of Action and Delivery for Sustainable Development. Using the theme, the Young Diplomats of Canada's delegation to the 2021 UNHLPF focused on the role of youth in leading the achievement of the Agenda 2030 and the importance of intergenerational knowledge sharing to cooperatively affect action. Hello everyone, my name is Ryan Cooper and I was the Communications Coordinator for this Young Diplomats of Canada delegation to the UNHLPF 2021. As part of this special podcast episode, we're going to take a listen back to stakeholder meetings we had prior to the forum in July 2021. The purpose of these meetings was to get a pulse on the different actors and their role and experiences in sustainable development, and allowing us to reflect on different aspects before beginning the forum. So today we will be hearing from six stakeholders. We'll hear from Lynn Wagner, the Senior Director of the Tracking Progress Program at the International Institute for Sustainable Development, or IISD, as well as Stefan Junkert, who leads the IISD's work on indicators and data for SDG monitoring. Then we'll hear from MP Heather McPherson. McPherson is a Canadian politician who was elected to represent the riding of Edmonton Strathcona in the House of Commons of Canada in the 2019 Canadian federal election, as well as his last election in September 2021. After the break, we'll have John Beale, the manager of the Sustainable Development Solutions Network, SDSN, of Canada, hosted by the School of Environment, Enterprise, and Business at the University of Waterloo. Then we'll hear from Andrea Dix, the president of the Community Foundations of Canada Board of Directors. And finally, we will hear from Ambassador Bob Ray. Ambassador Ray is a Canadian diplomat, lawyer, negotiator, 
public speaker, and former politician who is the current Canadian ambassador to the United Nations since 2020. Following each of these statements and quotes, youth from the UNHLPF delegation of Young Diplomats of Canada will be speaking and sharing their experiences. We will be hearing from the head delegate, Winter Lipscomb, the engagement coordinator delegate, Alicia Richens. So our first question for the stakeholder panelists will be, how do you work with youth and ensure youth voices are represented in your work? So first, let's hear from Stefan Junkert and Heather McPherson. Yeah, I, I think in, in terms of individual interventions, I, I just I agree with them. You know, that Malala is very, very inspiring. But in terms of a, a larger movement, I have to say that when I started looking a bit more into Fridays for Future and the kind of arguments and the kind of the way the current youth generation is presenting itself on the scene and the way they're arguing is shifting my own perceptions as well. And, and I had a, I forgot where it was now, but it, I think it's a Canadian website run by a couple of youth organizations that really put everything into the context of decolonization. I'm guilty as charged. I've never thought about it in that wide of a term, but the SDGs are leading towards that, that kind of more holistic consideration and saying that there's a whole lot more that we need to address and issues that we need to fix before we can actually say we've succeeded. So really to say climate change is not just about emissions. It's, it's really about the whole context and creating that vision of where do we need to go and what is going to be the point when we can say we've succeeded. So, so I mean, before the SDGs, it was the Rio Plus 20 conference that said the world we want. And I think we're still working on that vision. And, and, and that's where, where Fridays for Future and all the, the other movements around that are, are really inspiring to say that's the world for whom we are creating the world we want. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so in my role that I have now, one of the ways that I engage quite a lot with young people is through the post-secondary education system as well. So I have a lot of post-secondary education institutions in my riding. I have seven. And, and so I spend a lot of time meeting with students, talking about issues that are of importance to students. Just yesterday, I did a conference with students talking about tuition and making uh, post-secondary education more affordable, providing childcare to students. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a lot of what we do. But my favorite thing to do is to have time to talk one-on-one with students. One of the cool things that happened this year, actually, is there, there was a young girl that was going to high school in Edmonton and who was pushing quite a bit for free menstrual products within high schools because, of course, period poverty is a problem in, in Alberta, as it is in other places in the world. And so I was able to put her in contact with some of the city councillors. We were able to get her on the agenda for one of the city council meetings. And actually, Edmonton Public Schools will be having free menstrual products next fall, which is, which is pretty cool. To be able to see her have such success with with her advocacy and the work that she was doing, I also talk to classes. So I try to I try to meet with a few junior high and high school classes every couple weeks, and just to talk to them and answer their questions and let them know that the same way that I represent people that can vote for me, just because they can't vote yet, doesn't mean that I'm not their representative and that I that my job isn't to listen to what they have to say and bring their priorities to to Ottawa. So I I try to do that as well as much as I can. Now that we've heard from stakeholders Lynn Wagner and Stefan Junkert of the IISD, as well as MP Heather McPherson, let's hear what the delegates Alicia Richens and Winter Lipscomb have to say. I really appreciate Stefan bringing this piece up because I think that decolonization is so key to this work in climate action. 
particularly because we have climate change because of colonization, right? It's because of colonization that we've developed these extractive relationships to land and to people that has put us in this position where our activities as a human society are out of whack with the, the balance of the environment in which we live. And so that's so intrinsically connected to how we also treat each other as part of nature and that land. So I really appreciate that. I think that that's really key to how I look at things. I think climate justice is key to climate action and there can be no climate action. We're not going to achieve the SDGs. We're not going to reduce emissions properly until we really take hold of climate justice and give power to people, reconcile histories of trauma and abuse and build new relationships that are more lateral, more inclusive, more mutually beneficial and empowering. So I think that in terms of getting for the global push with sustainable development, that's kind of why I am so in love with the sustainable development goals. It's that it's the 17 goal framework that takes us beyond just thinking about emissions reductions. The Climate action is goal 13, and it's not number one, it's not number 17, it's 13. Like I think that kind of places it in relation to all of our other issues and challenges, which I think is really important, and highlights the fact that we're not going to get there unless we achieve all of the other ones. We're not going to get climate action unless we address gender inequality and other inequalities unless we address poverty and food insecurity, unless we address decent work, unless we have better infrastructure and innovation happening. We're not going to achieve that unless we're working together in partnership. And so I really appreciate this global framework that really rounds out all of those issues and connects it back to climate, which just happens to be the most urgent one. So we do have to make sure that we are reducing emissions but we're not going to, I think, as we can see today, is the today that we're recording is the last day of COP26. And we can see that we're not, we don't have the ambition to even just focus on emissions reductions. And we're not going to have that ambition until we have more people involved, more youth involved, more marginalized communities involved, more underrepresented folks involved, just more people empowered to determine what's right and what's really the next best step for us as a global community. So thank you, Rosia. I think you raised something really important about understanding the underlying challenges that we need to address when we talk about climate action, specifically the underlying challenges that marginalized or low-income communities are facing. Their struggles are very different. And when you have so many other competing priorities, like where do I put food on my table? or how am I getting to work? Sometimes those other things that allow others to participate in climate action or to take more, when you worry about food and where your next meal is gonna come from or how you're gonna make a car payment, you have these different priorities that you're trying to place in your life. And so thinking of climate action as a big theoretical and scary topic is really hard and you don't know how to make those steps every day in your own life. And so government officials and industry have responsibility to lessen those burdens and we're not really gonna make those changes until those underlying challenges are addressed. Yeah, I love that. I think that's <laughs> a great point, kind of connecting what people are most immediately concerned with in their personal lives. 
Yeah, I so appreciate Helen McPherson's take on this. I think she said, just because they can't vote doesn't mean I don't represent them, talking about youth. And I wish more of our elected representatives had that perspective. I think what gets youth heard is making noise. We heard from Stefan. He only started to think about climate action and decolonization thanks to the actions of Fridays for Future. I think a lot of youth activist groups are really pushing the needle and making their voices heard and highlighting unique perspectives that I think the professional uh, politicians and professional environmentalists aren't necessarily quite as well tuned into. I think we're also seeing a lot more youth running for elected office, and I think that's great and wonderful, and I wish we saw more of it. How do we get more representatives tuned into our concerns and perspectives? I think also just showing up. So like Heather spoke about youth showing up at a town hall. So even if your MP doesn't come to your school to talk to you, you can definitely go show up at the town halls and those other kind of official forums to hear from the public. I think we tend to get a little intimidated because we're not quite as experienced or set up or formal or professional for it. And I think the more we engage with it, the more we realize that actually, yeah, it's not that it's not that expert or professional and separate from our lives. And they don't actually know that much better than we do. And our own perspectives as youth are totally valuable and valid, valid in this space. And I think just just practicing, even if it's just like engaging with your elected representatives on Twitter or writing them an email or setting up a one-on-one meeting. I think the more that we do that, the more we realize that it's really not that hard. And the more that we get coalition and community moving together to really advocate for those changes. Because really, when they're retired, we'll be the ones that are the elected representatives running things. And I think we have to remind them that we are the next, the next round of leadership. And so we do have a voice, particularly now as we're in this really critical time of making sure that we get the action we need as soon as possible. One of the things that I really liked about MP McPherson was that it didn't matter the age of the voter. She said that I still represent them no matter what. And I think that's such an important point because so many times we hear from leaders oh, I'm just a member of the opposition, I can't really affect change, or I'm not in a position where I'm making the decisions. And I think that's a little bit of a cop-out because MP McPherson is part of a party that isn't even in the direct opposition, is still actively showing up and still engaging with constituents regardless. And I think that that's a testament to her own work, but also something that I think other elected officials really need to take into account as well, because just because you can't vote right now, we remember who was there for us when we really needed them. And that is a future vote down the road. The second thing and the point that you raised was that our elected officials are people just like us. Not everybody wakes up one day and says, oh, I'm going to be a politician and that's what I'm going to be for the rest of my life. We have a lot of politicians that started out as doctors, who started out as lawyers, who started out in all these diverse professions and got to a point in their life where they thought, oh, I really want to make a difference. I really want to have my own voice, my own ideas heard in this space. 
to be a leader, a change maker. And that's so important. And I think that as young people, we have a responsibility to show up and to hold those elected officials accountable, even if we didn't vote for them, even if we're not eligible to vote yet, regardless of our opinion, because no matter what, that person is still a representative for you and you have every right to share with them, respectfully, of course, what your own ideas are, what your thoughts are, decisions that you don't agree with, because those little conversations that we have, they start to build, they put an idea in somebody else's head, and they may not agree with you right away, but it means that they might be more open to a future conversation with you or with somebody else down the road. And that's really what the SDGs are about as well as it's all about the individual choices that we're making, what we do at a local level and how that builds to create this provincial, national and international change that we want to see. I think it's challenging when we think about how we get youth perspectives and voices heard. But like you said, it's showing up when they're having the spaces because not every elected official is going to show up in your own spaces or going to come to you. And that could be for any number of reasons. But that's when you take the step and you write them a letter because they have responsibility to respond to you as well. As your representative, it is their job to take your phone call. It is their job to write your letter back, to answer an email, whatever it may be. So the more youth that realize that that is an option available to them to just walk down to their elected official's office to ask for a meeting, whatever it may be, that's how you get your ideas out there. And that's how we get these conversations started. And the more youth that do that, the more that we can start to see that change take place. Before we take a short break, we're now going to hear some words of wisdom from both Stefan Junkert and Lynn Wagner from IISD. Keep looking at it. And also, I think that there's no one right way to dig into the SDGs. That start where you are, look at the SDGs around it and the targets around the issues that you're working on and see where that takes you. But you use the SDGs, they're, they're a framework they're, they're not supposed to sit on the shelf. They're, they're a framework for action. Well, I, I definitely say keep, keep pushing for intergenerational equity. I mean, we've, we've nowhere come near to really considering what that means. And, and just don't be afraid of the old people running the show there. Everybody should be heard. And there's, there's no way, uh, you know, experience should never be a, a way of discriminating against voices or so. so whatever, whatever you have to say, say it. And, and yeah, let us, let us know if we can help in, in any other way with, with the work that we're doing. Jumping into the second segment of today's discussion, we're now joined by John Beale from the Canadian chapter of the Sustainable Development Solutions Network, Andrea Dix from the Community Foundations of Canada, and Canadian Ambassador to the United Nations, Bob Ray. We're going to hear about and discuss youth participation and action. We're going to ask the question, how do you engage with youth to mobilize locally or globally to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals? And also, what advice would you offer to youth wanting to get involved? I think the SDGs are a great hope that we can all look to for what a better world will be. And I think as young people, as finishing through school and, and starting into careers and, and developing that, that part of the work that they want to contribute to the world, using the SDGs as a way to find yourself in some of the change that you want to make in the world and be a really useful way to help navigate what, what can often be a pretty messy and complex world out there and trying to figure out 
what you want to do when you graduate from from school is, is a really difficult task. And hopefully the SDGs can help provide a little bit of that, well, this is the change that I want to contribute to, and, and a bit of that focus. So there's a couple of ways that we engage with youth. and and. The, that we engage at CFC or that community foundations engage it, it sort of, it definitely, there's lots of different touch points and some of it comes through some programs. We recently had a program that it has just wrapped up that it was called Future Launch and it was about providing youth experiences and, and really the opportunity to be entrepreneurial and to come together and to say like these are problems I see in my community these are challenges I see in my community and these are my ideas to fix them and change them and to support my community and through this program we were able to provide not only the opportunity for some coaching and for some ways to explore that creative lens that entrepreneurial spirit of bringing those ideas to, to sort of to paper but then to invest in them in order to have them them activated and so I think that as we think about the way in which philanthropy contributes to building future, and, and at CFC we talk about the relentless pursuit of a future where everyone belongs. And so as we do that, we are modifying the ways in which we do it in order to involve more people, in order to invest differently, in order to ensure that there is a diversity of people who are coming together on those solutions, that it's not just the tried and true solutions, which probably aren't so tried and true because we still have the challenges, but how we're getting more voices, more lived experiences around the table to, to truly come up with thoughtful ways in which we can change the trajectory of community that, that doesn't just go along at a slow pace, an incremental pace, that really could have the potential to accelerate. Well, yeah, I think the main thing is just don't give up. Stay curious and, and keep asking yourself the question of why is, why is it more happening? Why aren't we more aware? How do I get more people more aware of what's going on? How do I, how do I encourage other people to see that this is not an abstraction or these aren't just numbers on a page? It's all about really improving the quality of life for everybody. And the second thing is that uh, I think COVID has made us a little bit too inward looking. I think it's tended to isolate us a bit from each other. So we have to keep thinking about the ways in which we can much more successfully really engage with each other and also engage across the world, around the world. I, I, I really want to see us as a country become more global in our perspective. I think it's I think we're still thinking too small, too locally. And that's I think preventing us from reaching some of the targets that we need to reach. I'll give you the very practical example. We're celebrating, quite rightly, the fact that we are now able to vaccinate more and more people every day. More and more Canadians are getting vaccinated and getting protected, and we're saving lives that way. But we need to understand that around the world, people don't have the same access. And some of you know, and you know that in Trinidad, Tobago, we don't have the same access. And so people there don't have the access. So we need to figure out how do we how do we change that? How do we get Canadians to embrace the idea that what what we do at home is only a fraction of what we need to do globally, just a fraction. And that shouldn't discourage us because it's the targets we set for ourselves. We can meet these targets, but we have to meet the targets globally, and that's a bigger challenge. But one we have to play a leadership role in trying to meet. 
Now turning to delegates Alicia Richens and Winter Lipscomb again. How can we foster intergenerational knowledge sharing between youth and government, non-governmental organizations, or civil society? In light of what we've just heard from stakeholders John Beale from SDSN Canada, Andrea Dix from the Canadian Community Foundations, and Canadian Ambassador to the UN, Bob Ray. Yeah, I absolutely agree with John. I love that he brought that up. That's kind of how I got into my own work around SDG advocacy, just kind of looking at this framework of goals and issues that I think a lot of youth are already concerned about, maybe not all 17 of them, but definitely there's one or two in there that really speak to each of us. I have the problem of not being able to choose, so I just like to talk about all of them, <laughs> or 17 partnerships for the goals, how do we collaborate better? And for me, working in the nonprofit sector in Toronto a couple of years ago, I, I would hear mention of the SDGs ever so often, especially as the federal government started investing in it more. But at the organization level, no one really knew what to do with it. It was, just, it was really just this big thing. And so it kind of sparked this idea for me, well, how do I help organizations make sense of it? Like, I've studied this. I've read up on this. I understand how these things work together. How do I show up and, and make those connections? And then even in, in my work at The Common Approach, just looking at the, the data infrastructure, because I firmly believe that it's the organizations at the grassroots that are achieving the SDGs for us as a community, and less so the federal government, but the federal government has a responsibility to report to us and to the global community. And so I'm really excited to be part of the work of just building out better data infrastructure so that those grassroots organizations are able to do impact measurement in a way that's relevant for them and that gets us quality data that we could actually start to more robustly track our progress on the SDGs. But more generally, John's comments on use this to navigate your work, I think that's brilliant. And I think a lot of youth are already doing it, even if they're not so... <laughs> quite as aware that, that that's what they, they were doing, just really focusing on, okay, similar to that Ikigai framework, if anyone's ever read the book, All We Can Save, there's also this amazing podcast how, called How to Save the Planet, and they talk about finding your place in climate action, just the intersections of what the world needs, what you're good at, and what you're able to do. And I think the SDGs provide such a great frame for thinking about the options in terms of what does the world need and then start to think about how that intersects with what do you like to do? What are you good at doing? What can you kind of commit some time to doing? For moving out of this kind of corporate nine to five marketing, multi-conglomerate monopolizing business mindsets and more into a lot of youth are looking for impact focused careers. And I'm excited to see how we continue to interpret that as a generation. One of the things that I really enjoyed about our conversation with John in the stakeholder meeting was the discussion around intergenerational knowledge sharing and how youth have all these big ideas, but it's important to also blend that with the knowledge and the practical experience of our elder generations too. And I think that's so important because so often in the media or in politics, we're painted as this divisive entity, like it's the youth versus the older generation, or we say it's the millennials versus the boomers. And what I really like about the conversation is it's not about that adversarial relationship. It's about 
different perspectives being able to come together and talk about being a problem and having confronting that problem in a new way and thinking about how we fix it but thinking about also what's practical what's already been done I work for the government and so often we talk about how we're going to address these problems and then I go and do the research and I find out that 10 years beforehand somebody else has already confronted that same problem and done similar research or thought through a similar process and so often we don't need to necessarily reinvent the wheel we just need to think about how we blend all of that older knowledge with a newer way of thinking or a newer way of doing something and we have access to tools and resources that we might not have also had 10, 15, 20 years ago. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was how we get youth involved when it comes to the SDGs. I think from a personal experience, I was intimidated coming into this delegation because the sustainable development goals feel like this huge entity. It's connected to the United Nations and we have all these countries across the globe participating and sending all experts. And I thought, how am I supposed to be able to participate and actively engage in this space? Because what do I know about the SDGs? Or how do they relate to my life? What have I actively done to advance with on these goals? And I think when it comes to getting involved or being a youth in this space, it's important to recognize that your perspectives are valid, your experiences are valid, and they give you the tools to be able to participate in this space. It's not about the degree you have or an accomplishment or anything like that. It's about just taking that first step and finding something that you're interested in and a way that you can contribute. So many of the SDGs have these big lofty goals or these things attached to them and getting started is challenging. It's about getting youth that first step through the door and finding something that they're interested in. And so what I learned throughout this whole experience is that we have people who are involved in nonprofit work or they're involved in protecting the water or advocacy related to the land or they're talking about food policy, all these different things. And even though they're contributing to the achievement of Agenda 2030, their work might not explicitly be tied to the SDGs. And so when we're getting involved and talking about the sustainable development goals or agenda 2030 and what achievement of that looks like. It's not about engaging with them all at large. It's about finding something that you're passionate about and that you want to make a difference in and then going forward and learning and participating. Yeah, I think this is so connected to what you were just saying, Winter, around youth taking on the different issues that matter to them the most and tackling that in different ways, whether it's starting a non-for-profit or starting a social enterprise or even just community organizing groups. I think it's so great. And I think there's so many different ways of skinning the cat, for lack of a better metaphor. Gosh, I hate that metaphor. Um, but there's so many different ways to address this and so many different angles that we can get into. And I think Having all of these uh, resources out there and programs like the one Andrea is talking about, I think most of them tend to be free and that's amazing. The government's really been investing a lot in incubator programs for those looking into social enterprises. But I want to encourage also youth to think about starting up a not-for-profit, starting up a 
community coalition, youth organizing. There are lots of different ways to get into it. Andrea also talked about philanthropy, which is a, a whole other topic in itself. I think in the last year and a half of COVID, we're seeing a lot of more push for like trust-based philanthropy and investing into communities and organizations that aren't necessarily registered CRA charities. So in terms of being able to better support youth initiatives, I think there are so many great youth initiatives out there and they just happen to not be a registered charity, right? They happen to like not have a lot of these formal institutional legalese structures set up. And I think that's that's been a really big barrier to them for getting access to funding and support. And so what I'd like to see personally in philanthropy is a bit more flexibility. I think some more collaboration with charities. I know some charities kind of act as an umbrella or supporting applicant to help non-charities get access to funding. So a lot more of that kind of collaboration but on the side of the funder, a lot more flexibility to really invest in communities, invest in youth in particular, and invest in those new ideas coming up. I really like the point that you're making about flexibility. And that was something that I found really applied to the work that I do on the Treaty 3 Youth Executive Council. So we were fortunate we got a grant through the Lave Law Foundation and so often when it comes to grants, there's this huge reporting burden that comes along with it that nobody seems to really talk about. Everybody's like, oh, you've got a grant that's so great and we're going to do this amazing project and it's going to do so much for youth. And then you've got this huge report that's back, due back, or you have to talk about the financials and all of those pieces. But one of the things that I really liked about our Laidlaw grant was the recognition that we are youth and we're still learning these skills and the support that they gave us. And so reporting is not just a written report due back at the end of the year. They take the time to have a mid-year report where we're able to just verbally chat or have a roundtable with other youth and discuss the impact of the work that we're doing or the youth that we're engaging with. And I think that flexibility is so important because grassroots groups or communities that are new to grant work or to these initiatives can get bogged down just by the administrative burden that comes from the funding that is so vital to the work that they're doing. And so any way that we're able to support them through that process is really good. So throughout the UNHLPF, we heard a lot about the relationships that needed to happen between government, civil society, philanthropy. And I think that was really important because that was something that we heard from Andrea during our stakeholder meeting was we need to build these relationships between all these institutions and not one institution on its own is going to be responsible for the achievement of the SDGs or Agenda 2030. And for me, that was a revelation and it probably shouldn't have been because I'm so used to putting so much onus on the government to say, as our leaders and as our people in charge, it's their job to provide the funding or to provide the rules. And I, I think I had that realization of, no, we all have a responsibility. Industry has a responsibility. 
and they often have the means or the resources to financially support that change. We need government to provide a framework or the strong policy that can support the work that's being done. We need civil society to be able to hold people accountable and show the benefits of what we're doing or the work that's being done. We need individuals to internalize the SDGs and what that means for them in their own communities. And everybody has a role to play in it. And for me, that was such a changed way of thinking about it because it's so easy the default to say in one group is responsible or one group can only have expertise in this one area. And so I'm thankful to the conversation that we had with Andrea just to think about it in a different way and that we all have different ways that we can contribute to this work. I think the role of community foundations is also so vital to the youth work and they're positioned really well to support the work of youth or to support the work in the SDGs in general or for communities because they have those relationships to the groups that are on the ground that are already really doing great work and may just need some of the financial support to be able to see their work through or at the community level as well. And I think that's what's really great about the work that they do. So I think a piece of that is just thinking about I don't know, maybe getting a little bit more critical about how the level to which youth are actually able to engage at the global scale. Like, yeah, we'd like to do this, but we heard some really scathing critique from the major group of children and youth and other youth groups. Other, I heard about child parliamentarians and all of these other movements to get youth more power, more decision-making power, not just consultative relationships. Yeah, I think collaboration is so key to this work. That's why I love talking about SAG 17 and partnerships. And I think a lot about my own place trying to do this work as like this sort of individual consultant and how limited that is and why I like to engage in other things like Leading Change Canada or attending the HLP app, which is so fantastic. But then sometimes the engagement as a, as a young person falls short. And we heard a lot from some of the major youth representatives there, like the UN Major Group on Children and Youth and others, just, just really kind of criticizing the way that youth are just kind of brought in to have these cute speeches. You see how people react to Greta Thunberg's words. They're always congratulating us on our like courage and our bravery. And then they just go about doing exactly what they were doing anyway. And it's, it's really frustrating and it gets really exhausting for you. And so I'd like to see us move more from these kind of consultative, let's just hear what the youth think and give them a space to speak, but actually give us power, give us decision-making power. That's, that's what's really going to move the mark. And I think that needs to happen at all scales in local communities, local government, national governments, and at the UN level as well. And I think for us as youth, it's that collaboration globally is really powerful, being able to connect to organizations. You'll hear Bob kind of mention talking about vaccination in Trinidad, and that only came up because I was talking about the fact that I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. So just I think as a, di- as a person of a diaspora, connecting to diaspora communities is really great too. So I can be geographically positioned in Canada, but still connected to work happening in Trinidad and around the Caribbean. And I think there are lots of diaspora youth in Canada as such an immigrant-based population. 
And there's so much collaboration. I think Indigenous people kind of lead the way as they do in many other ways in that kind of international collaboration of Indigenous people around the world, because at the end of the day, all land is Indigenous land. I think there's a lot of work for us to do, but there's also a lot of work for other folks to do in giving us that power to really make those changes and take those stands. So I think that's a really great point to talk about how we all connect across the globe because as much as our challenges that we experience here are unique, they're also similar to the challenges that you face in other countries when it comes to thinking about the land or environmental issues. And so that connection to what others are doing is so important because maybe they found a solution that works for them that we haven't thought of yet, or they can talk about how they navigated those political relationships or how they leverage space to get a voice or to talk about something. I think that's really important. The other point that you raised in talking about the congratulations that we receive on speaking up, it's just it's disheartening sometimes and it feels disingenuous to hear that when we do speak up or when we are in the space and it's like youth, they're so great and they're leaders and they're doing all of these things. And then we do carry on. We just go forward. We kind of just gloss over everything without actually making a change or doing anything different about our behavior or the space that we're in. I think that one thing that either civil society or the private sector or governments can do is really focus on third-party organizations or institutions that already have pre-existing relationships to what's happening on the ground and better support those institutions either through funding or through policy changes because they know the groups that are on the ground that are doing the work at an individual or at a community level. And that's where we really need the support of the momentum as well. And what I really like about that approach is even though there is some top down, there's also a lot of bottom up change that happens in that way because we're empowering people at an individual or community level rather than uh, I'm telling you to do this, now do it. And so people feel ownership and all of those great things over what they're doing and the work that they do. Overall, this was a really cool kind of dream experience as someone who feels as, as a young person just trying to take action on the sustainable development goals to kind of to be able to finally kind of participate at the global level, even though it was virtual and it was like live streamed. I didn't really get to sit in rooms with people and there's all these limitations on engaging as a young person and speaking truth to power. I think it was still overall a really great experience. And I'm particularly happy that we got to have these stakeholder conversations in advance to really kind of orient ourselves going into it. And I hope that those in power take lessons from this experience, from HLPF, from COP26 happening now, and start to really rethink these relations we have with each other across generations and I hope that more youth start to get more audacious and ambitious 
in really trying to push for the change that they'd like to see. And I'm really keen to continue to engage with other fantastic youth. It was so great to meet you, Winter, and Ryan, and Amal, and continue to build those relationships and partnerships and networks and continue to collaborate and support each other as best as we can. Because at the end of the day, whichever SDG is most important to you doesn't really matter. We're all kind of pushing forward for the best, most inclusive, sustainable, prosperous, resilient future possible for us all. And there's so much work to be done, but we can get it done because we don't all have to do it on our own. I love that. And I think that's what made this experience what it was, even though we weren't in person. It was all those moments that we had leading up to the delegation where we'd be on a Zoom call. Are they ready to pull out our hair or celebrating the success or talking about something really insightful that we heard? And what I loved is all the different backgrounds that we had coming into this mall with inclusive education and the work that she does in Lebanon and your work that is so directly linked to the SUGs, but Anne's work, or even my own. And I hope that other youth look at this delegation and they think I could do that too one day and they see themselves reflected in our own experiences, whether that was some of the challenges that we faced or the experiences that we've had. Because I know that for me, I came into this experience wondering what on earth that could possibly contribute or how I could be a leader in this delegation. And I realized, you know, I don't have to do this on my own. I have this team of strong, intelligent women who are alongside me who are going to help this delegation what it is. And I loved that we all did this wanting to be the best that we could be and wanting to bring the knowledge back that we learned to help empower our own communities here. It wasn't about what could we get from this experience. It was about how do we take what we've learned and allow other youth to share in that experience with us as well. We've reached the end of our panel and of this podcast episode. Listening back to conversations our delegation had with stakeholders from multiple backgrounds has allowed us to reflect on ways to ensure youth voices are not only heard, but considered in decision-making and the planning process to achieve the SDGs. As a delegation, we were very much interested in the importance and impact of youth engagement and intergenerational knowledge sharing. Through this reflective podcast episode, we hope that you've also got to learn more about the United Nations High-Level Political Forum on Sustainable Development and get a glimpse into the experience that the Young Diplomats of Canada's delegation had as participants. Thank you to all the stakeholders we had the opportunity to chat with, Delegates Winter Lipscomb and Alicia Richens for their reflections today, and thank you listeners for tuning in. You have been listening to a special edition of Beyond the Headlines, presented to you by the 2021 United Nations High-Level Political Forum on Sustainable Development Delegation of the Young Diplomats of Canada. The views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of the producers, CIUT, the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy, or the Young Diplomats of Canada. Be sure to check out podcasts of all our episodes on our website at www.beyondtheheadlines.net or wherever you get access to your podcasts. If you're a fan of our show or want to stay up to date with policy issues in Canada, follow us on Twitter at beyond underscore headlines. You can also check us out on Facebook or Instagram. 
Be sure to tune in next week as we continue to take public policy discussions out of the hallways and onto the airwaves.